You're listening to Manx Radio and this is Judith Lay welcoming you to the podcast edition of The Archive Room. Faster my, Judith Lay here, once again opening the door to The Archive Room, Manx Radio's treasure chest of stories of island life from years gone by, told by the people who were there. So come on in and let me take you for another gentle stroll down Manx memory lane. David Collister was a skilled interviewer, equally able to fire off probing questions for politicians or just listen carefully and supply an encouraging word or two that would jog a memory and produce some precious reminiscences. David also had a talent for picking themes for programmes and special features. And that's where we're heading in the archive room this week. David knew that Ian Qualtrough was a popular and gifted entertainer, a natural storyteller with a richly comic touch. So David knew, when he suggested recording a series of short stories called Qualtrough's Queer Ones, that he'd be onto a winner. And he was right. Ian effortlessly delivered a whole stream of stories about family, friends, staff and customers in the family business and characters he knew from a lifetime spent in the south of the island. And so, I invite you to meet again a few of Qualtro's queer ones. Well, I was thinking about a fellow that used to work for us in the 50s, well before that too, called Willie Sale. And Willie Sale was one of these joiners, very set in his ways, there'd be nothing new with Willie. But he was the type of fellow that you would either sort of want to hit or whatever. Because no matter what happened, he had a certain expression that he used on every occasion. And you could set your watch by this. We used to go to Douglas down to the steam packet and to load up stuff to build the materials to bring home. And it was... If you can find it, the steam packet would let you have it. It would be (laughs) hidden under piles of stuff and our stuff would be in a corner and we had to handle every sheet of plasterboard, every sewer pipe. Well, we'd get loaded up and Willie would make sure we did it exactly the way it should be done his way. And then we'd be driving home and you would know at the top of Richmond, he would say, we're halfway home. Well, we were time-wise, yeah. but not distance-wise. No. But you know, as soon as you went up a gear at the top of Richmond, halfway home, and then we'd be driving through Santon, and just after the railway line, when you cross the railway line, there's a house on the corner facing Douglas, and this pound road goes up to your left, And every time Willie would take out his pocket watch, he's three minutes fast. And every time somebody would say, what, who? And there was a grandfather's clock in the far end of this room (laughs) when you looked in. And Willie checked that man's grandfather's clock every journey. And you just sort of, oh, after a while, you didn't ask again. But he'd be upset if somebody didn't ask. And we'd be loading these pipes and we'd get them home. Now, these little land drain pipes, they were a foot long, two and a half, three, four inches. 
and we had to handball every one of these on a lorry, every one off, and there'd be two or three thousand of these things, yes. and we'd be tallying every hundred. And every time when the last came off, he would say, that's what the cobbler threw at his wife. And nowadays, people don't understand this, but it was the last, and the last is the thing that the cobbler used to, to fix shoes. <laughs> and this came out every time. If you were moving something awkward like a piano, give us a hand to shift a piano. He used to say every time, it's a pity it didn't have wool on it like a sheep. And at least with a sheep, you could grab a handful of wool and hold it, but there's not many holding points on a piano. And you'd know that he was going to say that. <laughs> and another thing that, how he got away with these things, I don't know, but he would say about gross darkness. And gross darkness <laughs> was 144 times blacker than tar. Yes. People have these expressions, but the fellow you're talking about had them with humour as well, didn't he? Yes. Well, I had an aunt, May, and she'd been a school teacher in Liverpool 40 years in the one school from 20 to 60. She taught seven-year-old and eight-year-old boys. Must have driven her crackers, she, but she was the most patient person. There. And she was a chain smoker. And, of course, when she'd go out of the classroom at four o'clock, there'd be a cigarette in her mouth, but she never smoked outside. She was always at home. And if she went to anybody's house, she didn't need a cigarette, and yet at home she would make up for it. Well, my mother lived here at Howingren, and she had an Arga cooker. And Aunt May had an electric cooker. And she said to me one day, your mother's kitchen is not like mine. My walls are all oily. And your mother's kitchen with the Arga is not oily at all. And I said, it's nicotine. No, it's not. It's not nicotine. She said, it's the Arga. The Arga doesn't make this oiliness. It's the, it's the electric cooker, she was saying. And then I said... Well, of course, the electric is made by oil over in Peel. It must be coming through the wires. That's it, she said. And she was telling me one time about she was going home from school and a car drew up and this fellow said to her, would you like a lift, Miss Qualtrough? And she said, it's Billy, little Billy. And she said, my word, how have you got a Rolls Royce, Billy? Billy was driving this Rolls Royce. Well, he said, I've got a candy floss stall in Blackpool now. She said he was as thick as a hedge. He couldn't add two and two together. And there he was with a Rolls Royce and candy floss. She said, and I'm dragging along teaching for what I'm getting every day. Well, Percy Qualtrough. He, was a, he had a great sense of humor, Percy Qualtrough. And in fact, I was in... Um, Onken last Sunday, and the fellow said, Are you any relation to Percy Qualtrough? And I said, Nephew. Oh, he said, I remember him, headmaster at Onken School up to about 1920s, sometime like that. And uh, then he came to Castletown's headmaster. Well, Percy used to say, If anybody was clumsy, there's as many feet on you as on a duck. <laughs> well, now, Percy 
was great as the adjudicator, literary adjudicator and chairman at the Steadfords in the old days before the war. And in those days, you couldn't get in. It's a bit like the Braid of Steadford, there'd be one at Ballamorda. Ballamorda was a famous one. And Percy was there as literary adjudicator. And the musical adjudicator was a Mr. Albert Edward Crane, who was known as Alfonso. Now, Albert Crane, he was a terrible leg puller. And one of his stories that a lot of people know about is I'm going down Richmond Hill on a bike and a horse walked out in front of him. The bike went under the horse. He went over and he landed on the bike and carried on down the hill. <laughs> and he had dozens of these stories. Well, in the wartime, Albert was the food officer in Castletown dishing out the, the ration cards. And he had quite a lot of work to do. But uh, somebody sort of trying to rile him, I suppose, in the barber shop. He used to go in the barber shop in Castletown every other day, sort of Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, for a shave. And uh, they'd be sort of talking to him. And they said to Albert, how many of these ration books can you write in the day, you see? And he said, I can write 60 in an hour if I use both hands. <laughs> and uh, he wore those stiff collars with a turned over, very formal man. And he was the type of person who was a coroner or a scribe, really, in those days. And anyway, Alfonso was, went out sailing one day with Dr. Rowley Jones. Now, Dr. Rowley Jones, everything ended in roundabout. And uh, he was a terrible drinker. And the two of them had been out in this boat. And when they were coming in, Alfonso went to get a hold of the key or the ladder. And the boat moved out and poor Alfonso fell in. And all Rowley Jones, the doctor, would say, who's going to hold the inquest if the coroner drowns roundabout? <laughs> <laughs> and Alfonso was left floundering. Well, at these are Steadfords in the old days. It was terrible. Up at Ballamorda, I can remember going there, and Mr. R.K. Kenyuk, the morning more, was the man in charge, a big, tall man. And this room, this schoolroom is still up there, but it's now a private house. And this, these are Steadfords. They had these tilly lamps hanging from the ceiling, oil lamps, and you had to pump them up to get a sort of a pressure. And we'd be sitting there, packed, no backs to the benches, and the lights are going down, and old Kenyuk would stand on a form and pump these lights up. And they were just hanging from the ceiling, and I often thought, if, those, if he'd sort of wobbled, held onto the light, pulled it down, but we survived. Well, one of the chairmen that used to go up there was a man called Dick Qualtrough. No relation as far as I know. But anyway, he lived in College Green in Castletown and he was known as Dick the Bumby because he was a little tiny fellow and he had a little goatee beard like somebody else. Anyway, <laughs> Dick had a, uh, a shop in Castletown, the big red shop at the top of Bank Street and he was a draper there. And he had a couple of fires. Well, now, when... People have fires, everybody wonders. 
why or yeah. how. <laughs> and Dick went up to the next to Stedford. And every time he got up to speak or do anything, all the boys at the back were shouting, Smook! Smook! <laughs> it was chaos. I was telling you the other day about Dickie Cool from Ramsey, and he, we're talking now about the turn of the century or something, and Dickie Cool lived next door to my grandfather, and he said to me, he was going home one day, he'd been shopping for his mother, who was my grandfather's sister, and he said, I was going up through the timber yard, and I dropped a halfpenny from the change, and I was looking around for this in the grass and I couldn't find it. And he said, your grandfather, Josie Qualtrough, came along. What are thou doing, boy? He said, oh, Uncle Joe, I've lost a halfpenny from the chains of shopping. He said, your grandfather helped me look, couldn't find the halfpenny. Put his hand in his pocket and he pulled out a penny. He said, here you are, boy. Go home, you'll be all right, here's a penny. And he said, I said to Uncle Joe, he said, I can't go home with that, Uncle Joe. He said, Mother will want to know where I got the extra change. Mother knew to a halfpenny how much. Fancy sending a kid yes. uptown now. Would you know how much change? No. Mother would know to, to a halfpenny how much change, and he wouldn't dare go home with a halfpenny extra change. She'd think he'd been pinching something. Now, there were lots of old fellas around Castletown. I remember these names, and I remember them about. There was Nellie, Ellie Wipes, Nellie Wipes. There was Gumper. They didn't seem to do anything, but this fellow, Gumper, he was uh, the type of fellow who could live on finding golf balls and selling them to people. <laughs> but these people like Gumper, they were at a farm, and the big mill pudding, you've heard of the big mill pudding yeah. at the, when they're thrashing, and there'd be sure. a dozen men around a big table, right. all tucking in at dinner, and the housewife, she'd made this big suet pudding or whatever, and she puts this in front of Gumper, and he said, oh, half, that'll do me, missus. <laughs> and there was a fellow around here, and we'll call him Fred, so nobody could be sort of upset. But Fred, Fred's son went off to the war and he had a brand new push bike. Once the son had gone, he pinched the bike and he was going to work up towards uh, Maloo and every morning he would cycle on the bike. Well, after a month or two, the tyres went flat and after a month or two more, the tires just wore away and he would go to work every morning about seven o'clock up through Maloo Street on this old bicycle with no tires on just on the rims and people are still living in Maloo Street who will confirm this and this thing it would wake them all up going up the road well not only did did he wake them up with the tires but he was stone deaf and he was talking to himself and as he was going along and working in the fields on the farm, he'd be swearing and talking about the boss. And everybody knew what he thought about the boss, and the boss knew as well. But he didn't worry because this poor old soul just worked on and on and on. 
there's a firm in Castletown, Taggart's. Now, Taggart's have just closed down, but it belonged to a man called Jackie Moore, and Jackie Moore was a lovely character and very kind and helpful. In the wartime, if you wanted a bit of black market clothing or anything, Jackie would have it, and he, <laughs> he wasn't worried about coupons. Uh, but Jackie had this little dog and was one of those little cane terriers, little beggar of a thing. And Jackie would, was made uh, chairman of the traders, Castletown traders at the time. And this little dog ruled Arbury Street from the shop in Arbury Street. And this dog was up and down the street all the time. Well, at the traders, they, a resolution was passed that they should write to the police and complain about dogs mucking on the pavement. And so Jackie signed the letter as the chairman of the traders. The police <laughs> in those days said, we'll fix him. And the only dog that was ever prosecuted was Jackie's. They must have followed it up and down Arbury Street. <laughs> Thank you to master storyteller Ian Qualtro and to series producer David Collister. And there will be more of Qualtro's queer ones in future programmes. Now let's change gears and head for the station, because this is very definitely the year of the railway, with two major anniversaries to be celebrated soon. At the end of July, there'll be a week-long transport festival with special events to celebrate 150 years of the Isle of Man Steam Railway and 130 years of the Manx Electric Railway. And leading up to this, and as part of this Island Life series here on Manx Radio, Railways enthusiast and historian Mike Buttle will present three special programmes packed with a fascinating mix of archive material and brand new interviews. So I thought that we'd add a little bit of our own railway nostalgia from the archive room. As part of his very popular Time to Remember series, David Collister talked with Mrs Evelyn Fraser. Here she shares memories from childhood and from her working life, both with a transport theme. I remember going on the tram with my mother to Douglas many a time and to Kirkmackled where we had relations. Let's just try and remember what, what you recall of Laxey Station, the Manx Electric Railway Station, because it's still very much uh, used today, isn't it? Oh, yes. I have never seen such a beautiful little station. I have been on the highest railway in the world in Peru. I've been on railways in Norway and many, many times in Switzerland. Now, all these countries have got an abundance of fir trees etc. Mm. But I have never seen such a lovely little station. We have all the trees, the rustic buildings, the lawn mm. and the little church. The Manx Electric Railway was Laxey and Laxey was the Manx Electric Railway because so many of the men found employment there. Yes. And uh, it was the only mode of transport before the coming of the Manxland buses the red buses, and then 
the Manx Motors came. They were yellow buses. And then two or three years after that, the Isle of Man Railways put out a fleet of buses, the blue buses. And all three buses ran together. They would start off from Laxey, from the commercial hotel, better now known as uh, the Mounds Tavern now. And... um, They'd all start off together and rush to South Cape to pick up the passengers. So they were competing? They were. And the school children going to Douglas to school, the first year I went to the high school, we travelled on the tram. Well, then the second year, the buses had the contract, so we went by bus. And it was Manx Motors. Manx Land had vanished and Manx motors were there and the blue buses but I will say that at the when the second snowflake had fallen the buses went off the road but the old Manx electric railway kept going <laughs> oh. the Manx electric railway you mentioned that of course as being very important to Laxey. But but when you came back here in the 60s, you actually worked for the MEA, didn't you? Yes, yes. What were you doing? I was the only woman with all the men, the only woman connected was Miss Jean Thornton-Dewsbury, vice-chairman of the board. Mm. And they were all men on the payroll in the summer. There were over 100 and in the winter, about 80. Yes. And when Sir John Paul came to visit us one day, he said, I believe you're the only uh, lady here, Mrs Fraser. I said, yes, Your Excellency. Uh, he said, and do they spoil you? And when I hesitated, he said, perhaps they put on you. I said, yes, that's more All like right. it. <laughs> Were you you working in Douglas for them, were you? Derby Castle. At Derby Castle, Oh, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the head office. There were seven of us. We had no union. We were not civil servants. Mm. The government would not take us in, no. Thank you, Mrs Evelyn Fraser. And now an old friend returns. Transport expert and key figure in the preservation of the railways, here's Robert Hendry. Now, a steam locomotive is quite an expensive thing nowadays, but in the old days they were quite economical. Locomotive number 7, Tinwald, which was built in 1880, cost £1,278, 11 and 5 pence. Nowadays, when you look at the engines, remember that the locomotive boilers that you see cost about £26,000 each. When you travel on the railway, have a look at the carriages. Some of them date back to the 1870s, so they are now very elderly vehicles indeed. They're in fact amongst the oldest carriages in operation in the British Isles. But a realisation that they're elderly vehicles has certainly been around for quite a time. Now, back in 1906, the then chairman of the railway company said, with regard to the rolling stock, you will remember that we have often pointed out a good deal of it is very old, and the day must come when maintenance cannot be continued in regard to many of the coaches, and they will all have to be renewed. It is very satisfactory to think they are lasting so well. And it is even more satisfactory to think that those coaches have lasted a further 80 years.
we've been beaten by the clock again, and it's time for me to close the archive room door just for now. Next week, it's all about the railways, a mix of funny and fascinating stories told by the people who worked and travelled on the trains at a time when they were a lifeline round the island. I do hope you can join me then. But for now, this is Judith saying thank you for your company in the archive room this evening, whilst, as usual, I leave the last word to our favourite radio rambler, Howard Hampton. Anyway, till next week, so long, sir. The Nation Station Manx Ray